Good day, good evening, good night, good morning, and wherever you are, welcome to the Black Cauldron. I'm so excited to be here. This has now become the highlight of really my week during quarantine. And if we get out of quarantine anytime soon, I hope the Black Cauldron will be on and popping. Unfortunately, this week I didn't have a drink, like alcoholic beverage. <laughs> I decided to have tea again. I need to fix that. But before I get any further, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. We have Deb at Shackle52. What's going on, Lady Deb? How are you? I am well. I am thinking about this 24-7, and I guess that's a good thing. But <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and like, like you, this has really become um, my go-to for getting through the time that we're locked in. I have I've stopped myself from starting to read The Prison of Azkaban because I'm like... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm let, my head let already just, started, so... I know. I said, let me, <laughs> let me just keep pace because I might have to go back and then go back again because then one of you would say something and I'd be like, did I miss that? Gotta go back. I gotta go back. <laughs> so, Deb is our resident professor here. She got the credentials and paperwork. She got... She got the, She's legit, okay, people? <laughs> And we have Janina from far in Ohio. How are you doing, Janina? I am good. I, too, am super excited and thinking about this all the time. And I want to talk about it to everyone who will listen. I find myself, like, interjecting Harry Potter into every conversation Don't I'm having that. everywhere. Don't, do Don't be I that person. I'm so that person. I can't even <laughs> help it. And, you know, <laughs> thankfully, I work with a lot of Harry Potter fans, so it's not so insufferable for them. They actually enjoy it, too. Um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> let, me, let me just say that in real life, sometimes I quote Dumbledore. I do. It's, listen, I send, um, I actually, my, my very best, longest, dearest friend is going through some things and I sent her the quote that says from Dumbledore that um, what is it about happiness can be found in even the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn the light on. Oh, that's not my favorite Dumbledore quote, though. But It's one of mine. I like it because you know what? You can put it anywhere. I do want to ask y'all, how are your new um, writing utensils? Have you gotten oh, yes. to play yes, with yes. them? Yes. Thank you. We literally them? have a quill. Janina sent yes. us quills. So, I <laughs> yes, have... I, I, I literally expect... have a feather sticking out of my pens. And I love pens, by the way. I have tons I of pens. I know you do. And I expect handwritten letters with the quill. Just saying. Oh. And <laughs> I, have, um, I have a pot of ink. Actually. But do they work? That's they what I really work. want to do. I do, they do work. And I was able to write stylishly. Um, it's funny because I've been avoiding to, I've been avoiding obsessing about fountain pens because it is a, it is an obsession my father has passed on to his children. Like it's this one thing my children and I can bond over television and stationery. And I've been like, you know what? Let me not mess with st- with fountain pens because they're expensive. You know, ballpoint pens are reasonable. <laughs> you know, so uh, this quill, it's probably might restart this tradition. And I don't want I, I want to keep some coins in my pocket. It doesn't have to be super expensive. I learned that because my mom was um, sharing with me that she had a fountain pen 
that she used in high school that actually belonged to her grandmother. And um, she was saying that she wished she still had it. So I wanted to try to find her something similar that was nice. And you know what? It wasn't too bad. It wasn't, it was, you can, and then I got one for myself too, not knowing if I was going to like it. So I just tried to find myself a, a cheaper version um, the the pen that you saw that you know real said I had a bougie pen, um, that which is really why you got one too because I want us all to be bougie together. <laughs> but I mean, it was under twenty dollars. I was literally at Mont Blanc and didn't buy a pen. Thank so I you. Logged. I need to. I was literally at Mont Blanc. <laughs> And See, Deb, know, Deb knows the name. That is yeah. the name you talked yeah. about. about and, and ever since I got home, I kept thinking, why didn't you buy pens? You were literally at Mont Blanc. But, um, you know, you're old and you don't think. That's all right. Uh, that is, that. those are the holy grails of fucking pen, Mont Blanc. I know. Yeah. Pac is a poor man's pen, but it do do a good one. It does do a thirty. And then you have cross pens, I'm telling you. And you have, there's another, um, oh my God, I am forgetting the name now, but let's not get it. We're not here. We are here, hopefully, to conclude the book to the Chamber of Secrets. And ever since Deb has told us that the Chamber of Secrets book two is basically the gateway into the entire Harry Potter series plot, it has now become this treasure troll of like, we are in there analyzing every sentence, going through every plot point, and it becomes this thing like, oh my god, like, we totally missed all of this. Though we, (laughs) in the back of our mind, it's been there, but it's just like, oh my god, you're right. Like, there's just nothing that is um, mentioned that is just, except the car. I think the car is about the only thing that doesn't return in later series. But, you know, just where the car was, perhaps the path that the car cleared, is the part is the final path that Harry takes. That's just in my mind. I'm just saying that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So today, hopefully, we can get to the plot. And well, we're supposed to deal with the plot because I think we addressed a lot of things, um, bullying. But I think many of the things that we discussed last episode, it will definitely come back in here because they all play into the plot. So in book two, basically the plot revolves around the Chamber of Secrets. There is supposedly a hidden uh, in in many people's mind, including many of the learned people's mind, though we are aware that Hogwarts have a tons of secret places and whatever, most people think a chamber of secret cannot exist. I mean, it's a magical school, but hey, I'm I, I guess there's some limit to the magic, right? <laughs> like a chamber of secret should not exist, and supposedly a monster is in it, placed by um, Salazar Slytherin one of the original founders of the school. We learned in this book, I think, that the four founders, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, Godric Gryffindor, and Salazar Siddharth, started Hogwarts School. There was some um, disagreement, mainly supposedly around the idea that should the school allow muggle-born magic students into the school or only allow those from magical parents to enter. And because the rift was so beyond limit, that dude got to the point where Salazar and him was just like, F all y'all, I'm going to go on my own. Where he goes, we don't know. We don't. That's never um, investigated. But he creates this chamber of secret, put his monster in there with the intention that 
his true heir will come into being and will reopen the chamber and rid the school of all unworthy people, supposedly the mudbloods, which they are called mudbloods, which are non-magical, which are magical muggle-born people. So I think last time we got into a fierce, not a fierce discussion, a, a rather um, substantial discussion about the whole mudblood, um, pure blood, half-blood, etc., paradigm within this whole magical world and how it plays implication into today's world um, in terms of race and colorism perhaps to a certain extent but mainly race race and ethnicity ideologies that people start to spout thinking that one person or group of people are better than others but I think one interesting thing that happens in the plot here is that though this is a this is a the idea surrounding the the whole quote unquote mud blood, muggle bond versus pure blood is ever it's permeating throughout the society, right? Because we see people use this word, though people are like, Oh my god, I guess adults don't step into the fray for the most part, right? Like they're just like, Oh, children said it's whatever. But the idea that a monster can exist to wipe the school of these supposedly <laughs> unworthy people is a bridge too far in most people's mind. It's just like, no. This cannot happen. And we we can also see this happen out in real life, right? When people talk about these other like as if when people talk about these racial um ethnic ideologies and you know wanting to X group is bad, whatever the case may be. As if the likely conclusion to said discussion isn't to annihilate people. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? As if these are just right. harmless. Let's, hey, we don't like this group of people. Okay, that's just an opinion. Well those opinions and, and probably we've seen this now. We don't even have to go to the 1930s. We know in the 1990s. We know um, even later on, we have ethnic, they call them ethnic cleansing then. But we have these sort of things going on in Europe and in Africa and to a certain extent other places silently um, where people are attempting to in- eliminate groups of people based on just physical characteristics or, you know, deeming this group a certain group they don't want to be a part of the larger society. So, but, and this plays out in the magical world for children to see and deal with. But somehow, it's not the thing that sort of like permeates when we talk about Harry Potter, I guess. It's, you know, interesting. But this is largely the plot of book two. So, my question to you, ladies, as we go into the plot, like, what did you think of the plot as you were reading this book? Not, not from the. In that moment, right? In the moment. Not like as we've read the book series a million and one time. <laughs> like, what does the, how does the plot stand out for you in and of itself as just that book? Well, I, I told you before, this is my least favorite book. And, you know, before we started having this conversation about it, I really didn't like it. You know, I just was like, oh, I got to read this one again. Because, you know, as we said there's a lot that's going on here and it's at times kind of um, even feels all over the place. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was weird, you know, and I never really knew why that, that it felt weird, but it is pretty weird to think that a huge, that the center of this plot really is a snake going through the pipes in a in a school and nobody 
Nobody knows. Nobody can get to it. Nobody can stop it. Nobody knows what it is. And then here we have this, what, 12-year-old girl find something in a library book. But we've got, like, the most powerful wizard in the world who, you know, gets sent away from the school but can't solve the problem. Like, it just, eh, I don't know. I just, I didn't, for that reason, I, I didn't like this book so much. And I don't like the story. I still don't. But I am able to now appreciate it for what it truly is and how it fits into the entire series. Um, it is funny in parts and you get to laugh at Lockhart and whatnot. But damn, is he ever an idiot? And, you know, just um, makes all these messes and leaves um, leaves it up to the somebody else to clean up. Almost always a child, which is also something that happens throughout the entire series that I'm sure we'll get into more, but I just, I don't know. I, it, it's even for a magical world, this is a little bit far fetched to think that you have this monster in this place and nobody, nobody knows what it is or can get to it. Just seems really, really weird. Like seriously, the only person that, or not even person, the only being that can tell us exactly what it is, is a, is a giant spider the size of a small elephant who refuses to talk. <laughs> that's, that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> a giant well, talking heard... spider who can talk, right. but just right. won't tell you what the deal is. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, you know, I remember thinking that there was, I remember thinking it was highly entertaining simply because there was always something going on. In addition yeah, to, I mean, right from the very beginning, you can see how it is a, it is such a modern children's book in that something happens right from the very beginning, um, which is what you need to keep kids reading. You know, from the time Dobby appears and causes all this mayhem, until they're in the, the flying car and then they crash to the whomping will. I mean, so much is going on um, in this book that really kind of makes you just see it as a straight on adventure story. And that's what I did the first time I read it. I was and again, I, I laughed at Lockhart. I thought he was such a great buffoon. When you hear when you listen to it and Jim Dale does his Harry, Harry, Harry. It is just so historically funny. And it's got a little play on the modern celebrity, um, like with the uh, the books yeah. and the women all falling at his feet and, you know, him doing his signings and then the crowds. And so you really get a take on, you know, the so many things that are in the contemporary world played out in this magical world. And then you get all this, you know, you got Harry, the only one who can hear the voices from the wall and You've got the dueling. So much happens in this book that's just from one one just a page turner from one thing to the next. And it is only after you finish the series. And, I, you know, maybe even if you read, you have to do some reading about the series that you see just how much is really connected to what's going to happen later. Um, certainly I didn't see that, you know, of course, the first time you read it, it's like, oh, this is so much going on. It wasn't my favorite, um, but I didn't dislike it because, you know, I liked the adventure. I liked the, the fact that it was a page turner. But, um, yeah, I think it was definitely um, a deliberate misdirection for people who were reading the series. I think Rowling deliberately made it seem like, oh, this is just a plot driven 
storyline and it's going to keep everybody reading and they're going to miss everything that they're going to need later on to figure mm-hmm. out what's and boy did she do it in a brilliant way i yeah. wonder if perhaps this was not the first book she wanted to write right in many ways right but you know at least put some of the things in it because mm-hmm. there were two things that i mean i, I can't really think of liking, I mean, the book that I think I loved the most was the fourth book. And I think that's because of the task element mm-hmm. of it, you know. And that's like, you know, a, a trope. Like, that was such a um, Greek. It's a fairy tale trope. Mm-hmm. But fairy tale trope. And also going back to Greek, right? Hercules task, mm-hmm. etc. And, you know, right. this young child being put upon, you know, the David and Goliath, you know, where for the, because everything Harry sort of like stumbled into stuff, right? Here right. now, he's, he's in the moment, and everyone has to acknowledge that this child has a Herculean chance, a task to complete. But the second book, I mean, it was funny, you know, uh, Lockhart bothered me, but he really bothered me the most when I saw the movie, and Kenneth Branagh played him, and I was just <laughs> like, I, I don't know what it was, it's just like, oh my god, like, whatever you are you need to stop like I, I just need to not see you because you are such a problem in this whole, whole thing but two things that stood out to me in the book when I was reading it and when I reread it a second time was Draco and um Moaning Myrtle because Moaning Myrtle is often overlooked as a you know like a plot device or like some joke whatever but she's rather integral to part of the idea we keep talking about, the bullying and the abuse. Because yes. Morning Model dies <laughs> because of yeah. bullying and, and being abused. And Draco, the thing that I thought was rather odd was that the Ch- Hermione, Ron, and Harry <laughs> literally thought that Draco was capable of such evil very in the, in the beginning. Yes. Who they thought about, and I'm just like, he's only 12, right? Like he is, that you are thinking about in this world that these children have somehow understood that their classmates can be evil and will be willing and capable of doing something so heinous about this. And that they're, they, they seem somewhat concerned about this, most of them teachers, because everyone dismisses this whole thing as, folklore you know it's, it's not real you know like whatever the, the professor Bins, professor Bins shouldn't be a teacher i'm, I'm sorry i have nothing <laughs> against ghosts but you you have no interest in either teaching you didn't even have any interest in your own life that you literally <laughs> die and didn't even know that you know? <laughs> so, i'm just putting that out there okay um but new listeners please know that reels has a lot of issues and he drops them in ever so often Okay, number one, but not number one. One of the many, Professor Benjamin Professor. But that struck me that, you know, that Draco, that they thought Draco was capable of such evil. And the fact is that Draco is capable of such evil. And that bothered me, that a 12-year-old kid would have this much, whether it's being parroted from his parents and whatever the case may be, that he desired, that from that age, he wanted to show that, you know, like, I wish I knew where the Chambers of Secret was. Because he has far more information about the Chamber of Secret than anyone else know, right? And he would have right. known that this thing is probably more than likely he knows it to be real, right? Because of his 
household, right? His father and whatever the case may be. Right, right. And they were very much involved. So this is what, you know, that they wish to do harm to a fellow student, uh, other students. Because, I mean, the reality of the situation is that how quickly the idea of half-blood and muggle-blood becomes so eliminated because Harry is not a target, right? Because his father is a wizard, a pure-blood wizard, right? But they have no problem with, you know, the, the, the idea that he's half-blood, whatever the case may be. But when he has children now with another wizard, a pure-blood, that whole muggle blood situation is eliminated, right? Like we don't talk about muggle blood for their offspring, right? It becomes a non-issue then. But how quickly that eliminates, you know, that this whole this is why I'm, this racism and this is such fuckery it makes no sense, and I guess it can't make any sense. So that's why people keep going on about it in a rational manner. But the other issue for me was moaning mortal that a student died at this school. And that's to be honest, so y'all are doing magic. You literally have weapons of mass destruction in your hand. But so she dies. And it becomes, and she's roaming around the bathroom, and no one deals with this issue. You know what I mean? Like she goes to moan, you know, to Hans, Olive, Han whatever that woman, I think that's her name, who caused her to be in the bathroom. But no one asked this ghost how, how you died. What was happening? You know what I mean? Like, just put an out-of-order sign on the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> out of order. And All right, leave left. it be. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Don't ask and any questions here. she literally moan the toilet. The toilet. And being the you bed. <laughs> I mean, how? I mean, this is... I mean, oh. the second time, I was just like, what? Like, no, no, no. And that, you know, and we're supposed to somehow... And everybody... Moaning model is annoying to everybody. Oh my command is oh, it's just moaning model. Forget that bitch. Like whatever. Like it's just like but I am like like this is insane. Like that is speaking to something. I don't know whether it was just for, for kids um use and whatever the case to me. But I mean my problem was with the adult. This girl was killing it. First of all, supposedly a spider actually killed her. But then his signs and his spider bit her? Or did something to her? You don't have any of that signs, do you? Right? <laughs> Whatever it is. But this girl, you didn't... Her parents, you didn't deal with this situation appropriately. She's now left to be in a bathroom, moaning, and everyone thinks she's ridiculed when she was just minding her business and die at the school. And no one can give a real... Because the teachers would have known that it wasn't the spiders, right? Spider that did it. They would have known that. It was just a way to shut up the situation and move on. But I'm just like, this happened under your watch. And y'all did nothing about this situation. Y'all just left this girl in the bathroom, put up a order order sign. She's flooding the place, screaming for attention. Because that's literally what she wants, right? Attention. Someone to take her seriously. And that's it. Boom. She's real, to go back to what you said about, you know, um, Draco... I just immediately the song from South Pacific. You have to be taught. You have to be carefully taught. Be taught. Have to be taught to hate. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, um, Draco has been taught by um, his family, his father particularly. And so he is just. You know, and you mentioned that he is parent. He is parroting 
what he has heard at home. But I, you know, his father has been relentless about, you know, early in the book, his father has is, is mocked him that he is he's allowed this muggle girl to surpass him in school. And um, so he has, you know, he has built up some animosity. It may not be appropriate for a 12 year old, but it's been applied to him so that he really is, you know, kind of growing into um, this kind of real highly negative young person because this is all he's been taught. He's not been taught to see anything positive about being in a situation where there are all kinds of people and that creatures um, and people in various stages are all equal. He has not been taught that re- at all. Well, I feel sorry for him, though, because to me, he is messy, messy, messy. And how that is oh. dealt with as we get there, it's such yeah. an inappropriate yeah. response. How that how that whole thing is concluded, he is concluded. Because I'm right. just like, this kid is dangerous. He is dangerous like mm-hmm. too many times we have seen this and then that whether i am not interested in the idea that i mean i get it being carefully taught in whatever the case of me and to a certain extent but you see that excuse is only available to certain people right because when right. It, because in in real world you know the white um subjects of crime they get to use that excuse right i grew up mm-hmm. in a troubled home etc etc right. that's not available to people of color right no that that, no. that is seen as a pathology right yeah this you're just was, a little moral character exactly this is pathology for people of color and for draco right. it's for people white people it becomes sociology um socialization yeah oops yeah see we can reform you and whatever the case because we know this like the stats are out there, right? Like, people of color do not commit crime more than non-people of color. But it's how the justice system treats said people that makes yeah. the difference. But for me, I mean, Draco is... I mean, it, it, he's a hated character, an annoying character. And I guess he's supposed to present as some sort of fall to Harry. But the, the crazy thing, I've never actually seen him as that. Like, as some fall to Harry. I'm just like, kid, you are so unnecessary to the plot like all throughout the series i was just like god i don't need to deal with this kid can we see somebody else because i mean he didn't he was neither clever he was neither smart he was just this person to sort of like antagonize um he seemed to be and in many cases he seemed to be more so an an antagonist for ron not harry in my mind that's how i read it right because here these two people supposedly equal um, in the sort of magical world, they're in both pure blood people. But every time he gets at Harry, he gives a jab at Ron, talking about the money and the class issue. And to me, okay, that makes sense because to me, it's like I don't know why you're going after Harry because you gotta know Harry. The reason why you're trying to go after Harry is because you, your pal tried to kill him as a baby. It's like you know what I'm saying. Like just to me, it's just like. Why you hate Harry because he's popular? Then do something then, boo. Like, Harry isn't popular because, you know, like, even though he came to the magical world as, you know, the legendary Harry Potter, what Harry keeps doing every year requires him to, you know what I mean? It gives him some pop- some notoriety. He's on the Quidditch team. He is doing all of the things that popular people do. He's part of a popular sport, and he's winning these things. So, to me, it's like, 
Draco's Draco's not a bad um, Quidditch player. He's just not a very clean Quidditch player. Um, Listen, Draco's an asshole. Right. Period. He's just an asshole. And it's also he's representative of the people who have more influence than they should have because that's how he gets to be on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not, you know, and that's how his father, his father buys rooms for everybody and make sure that they all get on the team and that he can get on the team. But um, and he's also his father's on the, the board of governors of the school. So he has all of this outside power and everybody knows kids like that who, you know, they learn at an early age to throw their family's weight around. Yeah. And so he um, while he's annoying, no question about him being annoying and not, you know, really not a person who has accomplished a darn thing on his own. Um, but we can see he's this is the direction he's going to go in. And we find, you know, we'll see down the road that this is who he is, that he is very limited and he's a covering for his own insecurities. Can we talk about the fact that, you know, Quidditch, I read somewhere, someone was mentioning, you know, that Rowland was making up the rules about Quidditch as she go along. I don't think so. She's been very consistent about the rules in and often of how the game is played. My problem is the inconsistency on how the game is being played. Like, we can have mismatch broom speed. That's okay. Um, we can have <laughs> Rogan bludgers running around the place. And shit, that ain't supposed like you because supposedly the magical. Because I've always hated the idea about the broomstick. I'm just like, wow, girl, you went back to like the 1500s with this old broomstick. I hear right, like, like them being on a broomstick is such a crazy idea. That was one of the first things that stood out to me. A broomstick. But We're I don't understand. What did you want them to ride? You wanted them to just fly, like just have the natural ability to fly. Is that like, what you would prefer? Apparently, flying on your own with a broomstick accessory is a real problem, so maybe not. But maybe not. <laughs> I like them on brooms. I, I like them. I feel like it's, it's right. But I know what Deb is going to say. Deb is going to say, and this, this is probably the answer, it is one of those popular tropes that seems to stand out, and it works for children's imagination. Mm-hmm. That being on a broomstick is easy enough to understand. My problem is that when they start talking about the Comet 500 and the, 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 the it's just like, it oh looks God. like a broom sale. Like, it, it's, I don't understand it. Oh, but we're it going, handles so much better. We're going to clip <laughs> twigs and all this thing. But when you're going to, when you're into a sport, you just love, remember like very, very the beginning when Hermione sends him the broom broomstick care kit. Yeah, right. Um, or maybe that's the next book. But then no, no, right no, no. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's the, no, no, no. It is the third book. It is the third book. It's, it's the, the third, third book. book. But yeah. I mean, this when you're into a sport, you just everything you live, breathe, and and you're you're into it. You go and visit um, whatever the latest piece of equipment or latest uh, outfit. You know, the look of you know. Can we mention tennis rackets? Right. <laughs> I know you were going to. They all go look the same. No, we know they don't all look the same. But they I mean, look the same enough. Well, you know, but I mean, people, people, well, people obsess over, you know, is this a is this a 93 inch, you know, face or people when they are into a sport, that's I think she got that just right. And it's, I, it's, I do, too. Sporting culture. <laughs> I think no, it's got- true. Reels. I mean, like, so, I mean, you I, know, I, I, my I can son, understand that. Because- but look, 
my my son plays hockey, right? I didn't know what the hell a flex number was on a hockey stick. Look, hockey sticks look like hockey sticks. They are all shaped the same. You get them cut to the player. Not then there's not a standard shape because it has to fit the size of the person using it. But I'll tell you what, when little Micah got a new hockey stick, it made a difference. I didn't really think it was going to make a difference. The one he started with was a hand-me-down. I thought he wanted his own. So, all right, got him his own. It really made a difference. It truly makes a difference. So, there. I mean, in the sense of, you know, yeah, everybody has a broom, but sometimes, you know, you get the best that you can afford. That's how sports are. It really is. Well, I, It really I'm, I'm is. I'm not disputing and, that to say, but but why, the differences but, aren't always visible. Well, true. Okay, I will give you that. You know, so Harry got the number three thousand or whatever it is, uh, two thousand, whatever it is. Um, Professor McGonagall got the school to buy him that, right? Like that didn't come out of his money, but yet they left everyone on this clean sweep, right? <laughs> and then. <laughs> And no one addresses that issue, right? Because first of all, Harry wasn't even supposed to be on the team, right? Because he was too young. But Gonzaga was tired of losing. Let's be okay. Let's be, yeah, I'm I mean, all for that. So she bent the rules. She for that. listen. She pulled a Malfoy, but Whoa. since she only did it with one player, and he isn't an asshole, or supposed to be. It, it was. It's viewed as okay. But she didn't do anything other than what Draco's father did. Listen to me. She pulled all the strings that she went, and the school shelled right. out money for that. That's right? right. But then we're supposed to turn around and look at Draco because he got the whole team the right group. <laughs> we look, and all he needs is to get a get a spot on the team. Look, Listen, I can't the... be mad at that. Because right. I know, because I know because my thing is that because here's the thing: it makes a difference on the playing pitch, whatever it is, in disguise. Even right. though it seemed to be the, the Slytherins were a good team anyway. They were an excellent team to begin with. Harry, Harry motivation for playing this game is what kind of stands out for him, right? Is that mm-hmm. it's that he wants this more than anything else because this is the thing. He is unencumbered by Harry Potter on the ground. On the ground, he's Harry Potter. In the sky, he is a, 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 a sneak. A, a, well, and it's the a, one a thing that he player. knows he's good at and he doesn't question. Like, he knows that he's good at this. Every other thing he kind of questions throughout. It like, don't require brain power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to execute it properly? You know, but this is instinctive to him and he's good. So he can be, it's it's like the first thing that he's found in his entire little young life right. that he is really good at it. It's all his and he's in control of it. No one has really given it to him. You know, he just, he did it and it worked. It went, you know, I mean, if we, if we think about it, when he has his, we can call it a Quidditch tryout. He doesn't even know what's happening. He's just trying to snatch that remember all. And McGonagall's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's like, you know, she found, she found the next Lionel Messi or no, Roger Federer. She found Federer. the next Charlie Weasley. That's what she found. She found Charlie. He was like, and, but she found Charlie. And he was just and like, even, okay. when, even when they play Quidditch in the, in the Chamber of Secrets, we have that full Lockhart. Who manages oh, to get himself? Oh, um, somebody needs to go to jail for that, Deb. Every time I read that, somebody <laughs> needs to go to jail. That was just jail. Really, but, but Madam Pumphrey, 
who is able to fix a magnitude of, of, of sins. Um, she manages to help him grow his bones back. But that is just, you know, this is again, he inserts himself in here. And this, this, this is almost too 2020 right now, as far as I'm concerned. You know, most people that do, does the wrong thing and people are even more injured than they were than when he fell down, when he fell out the sky. Yeah, yeah. It is really kind of um, just to shows you again how dangerous Lockhart is. And Lockhart. Dangerous Hogwarts is. Over and over. Nobody said, you know what, this is really, he's out, he's out here, you know, doing more damage. One time. And this is only me, and this is one... why I know I can't be at Hogwarts, because they know my ass would have been setting up for, for um, Lockhart. I would have seen him outside in the car. Only one time in this entire book do we hear an adult, like, acknowledge that he's full of shit. And that's when... The ch- when Ginny is taken into the Chamber of Secrets and, right. you know, they're like calling this meeting and Lockhart walks in and they tell him, well, finally, you get your shining moment. You can solve this problem. And then he leaves and McGonagall goes, OK, right. We got rid of him. You know, that is the only acknowledgement that we really get from an adult in this book well, saying Snape, that he's full well, of shit. Well, Snape's a- so the way in which it is described that Snape looks at him. Oh, but he I doesn't mean, actually speak on it. Well, Snape, Snape doesn't need to talk. We know Snape. Right. <laughs> Snape looked like he's about, so I think they said, you know, I think he's described he's about to murder someone. Like, he's, like he looks right. like murder was in his eye. But I mean, but even, but the crazy thing, you know, and, and this goes to what you're always saying, Deb, is that Lockhart is oblivious to all of this. <laughs> like, is he, he though? I don't know if he is. I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if he really thinks, because especially in the end when he finally says, did you think I did all that myself? Of course I didn't. I had to, you know, um, erase their memories. I think he is hopeful that maybe he'll try something and it might actually work. work, But I don't think he expects it to. I really don't. I don't think he's oblivious at all. I think he's just an asshole also, but a different type of asshole than the Malfoys. Um, and, you know, he's all about him and he, he doesn't, he doesn't care what his misgivings these, do to other people. Like, how many times has he almost hurt people? Killed them? He's not on the scene for any of these things, you know, because, because when the situation is apparent that, you know, that, okay, we do have the Chamber of Secret is real and that knowledge. Someone, someone allegedly went in there Right, he attempts to run, so he doesn't even attempt to do anything. It, but that's it, the it, only time. I mean, but if you think about like in the beginning when he lets those stupid little Cornish pixies all over the place, he's like trying to. He tries to get them up. It doesn't work, and he's like, "Oh well, class is over here. You you guys do it." You know, right, Harry's arm. He's like, "Oh, let me do this." Ah, oh, shit! I I screwed it up again. Well, you better go see Madame Pomfrey. But the good thing is, it doesn't hurt anymore. I mean, it's always something like. I think he's I think he's very much aware that he don't know crap but memory charms. And he's but used he, to sliding out of situations rather than having to be accountable. Exactly. And no so one he, holds he him accountable. Nobody. Learn the vocabulary, sliding on out of things or like, oh, we're going to move right along. And, <laughs> and he's learned how to utilize that vocabulary and just slide on out of things. And most people figure like, oh, he's useless. And they let him out. They let him off the hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, it just you know, nobody has any expectations of him after like one or two. Well, and good-looking people get away with things. I mean, that's just the facts. Good-looking people are they, are, they are forgiven more. I mean, this is science. I'm not even, you know, there have right. been multiple that's studies true. done about this. A, a, a so-called ugly person and a so-called good-looking person do the same exact thing, and the ugly person will always be judged harsher. Always. You know, that's yep. probably what it is that really bothered me with Lockhart when I saw Kenneth Branagh playing him. And fun fact, Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson used to be married. Emma Thompson right. played Professor Trelawney. But, and he used to be married to Helena Bonham Carter, too, right? Oh, really? Oh, too? She should have stick with Kenneth, though, because... Anyway. <laughs> so, I, think, um, I think that's what broke up Emma Thompson, him and Emma Thompson. Oh, they've got all the stories now. I think, <laughs> got all I think, the tea. Um, I think, when I saw Kenneth, I'm just like, God, this is it? No, he ain't do. I ain't believing shit coming out of this. So who would have like, been your ideal Lockhart? Like who I'm did you want sure. to play him? I'm, I'm not sure who it would have been though. But I mean, it's just like, like because I was with Ron all the time because I think Ron was just like. He's lying. This man is full of shit. It's yeah, Ron and got I, it. And I mean, Ron, Ron is one of the people who don't pay attention to shit, right? <laughs> like, Ron is like, <laughs> feed me, I'm good. Like, where's the food at? Like, I, I, I'm starving constantly. That Ron knew. And that's one of the worst things when you're, when you're an incompetent teacher and even the, the, the students get it. You know what I mean? That they just not even, they, they don't even pay attention to you. But, you know, but as we're here, we're back to like, you know, um, the chamber itself. So one of the things that struck me with the chamber that, you know, that we find out in the dueling scene that Harry is a parcel mouth and that he can speak to Snake, an issue that we dealt with in the first part of this book. But we, he is hearing what we find out is the snake that he doesn't understand that he's mentioned that that scene when he when everyone acknowledges he's a parcel mouth he says i can speak a language and i don't even know that i'm speaking this language that to me my being able to i spoke to a snake one but i just thought you know that that just chopped it up to the other weird shit that i've been doing you know what i mean like before anything happened well he didn't and I know issues. that it was a real he didn't know it was right. a real language though but that's what i'm saying that you know that he not only can he knew he can he wants he heard a snake, understood the snake, and the snake <clears throat> did speak to him, right? Mm-hmm. He understood that to happen once. I also have an issue with how the how people remember that scene that he supposedly set the snake on Justin Justin Finch Finch Fletchley. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't do anything like that. Like literally, the snake stopped, right? And there were right. two teachers there. Well, let's say one, because and mind you, it was a teacher who instructed another student to go <laughs> set a snake on another student. But we're not even going to deal with that madness. But the way in which they everyone describes the scene was that if Harry set the snake on Justin, and I'm just like, the snake stopped. Harry said something to the snake. You heard Pastel Mouth. And you, so, so that was a problem. And then you perceive that he about to set the snake on Justin, which was crazy. But the issue that bothers me, what we're going back with this whole snake, was that he hear it, he's hearing the snake, right? But no one else, and, and suppose if he understands what happened. But the problem, I think, which is the problem with the plot, is that no one is hearing the sound. 
it is true that they mightn't hear or be able to understand what is being said, but no one is hearing the snake sound. You get what I'm saying? Because so you know, think that they should be able to hear like they should be able to hear or something? They should be hearing something, but they're not hearing anything. So you know that might be you know, but we can say maybe magic, whatever the case may be. So that was something that struck me um, as we were going to like a fine tooth comb of just like. Why is it that, you know, like, at the very least, and, you know, again, we have another issue we keep talking about, mental issue, right? Because immediately, the <clears throat> presumption is that this isn't some kind of magic, right? This is a mental problem. Harry, even in the magical world, hearing voices ain't okay, right? That other people can't hear. Right. How quickly right. we <laughs> this world resorts to a world of which is defying physics and, and, you know, our concept of, like, probabilities and you know like um elemental you know structure and all this thing it is moving between all this you know like this is crazy fantastic worlds right but yet mental wellness being supposedly quote-unquote unwell is a bridge too far in this world and and how quickly they are cast they're, they're quick to cast people out who perceive who they perceive to be in any thousand off the rockers because it's one of the things that is one of the charges that is given to Dumbledore, right? Supposedly the greatest wizards of the age, but supposedly there's something wrong with him mentally. And so that's something I think we should sort of like see how often this comes up because I think this is this is going to play into things. This is going to become a reoccurring theme, right? Harry's mental health is being questioned by the adults. That quickly adults don't think about this being, this might be magical. Something magical, playing, you know what I mean? That we can open our mind to all the endless possibilities. They never think about that. But, well, but so, also, in addition to his mental state, there is, I think there is still that reservoir of fear throughout the magical community that you know, any signs that anyone might have some connections to Voldemort or to anything that's from Slytherin or even not Slytherin, the, the, the house, but connections to dark wizard, dark wizardry is another piece that will quickly come to the surface. You know, that they, um, that they immediately start talking about him having these dark abilities. And is, is he the heir of Slytherin? You know, that, that whole kind of thing comes really quickly to the surface because it's never really gone away. But my thing is that, but you never do anything about it, though. Because you literally, Slytherin is still a house. You let that house right. exist. You never right. go in there and try to educate these people about the dangers of such attitude. But this is my problem with the whole idea of, like, mudblood. It's just like, you might be, we might be quick to point to, like, the, the people like the Malfoy to say, oh, they hate mudblood. But I'm telling you, mudblood, people hating mudblood, it might be the very thing that separates the Weasley from everybody else. This might be, this is, this seems to be the only conclusion that I have as well, to why the Weasley are the, the way they are. Statues, the Confederate statues, it's heritage, not hate. You right. know, it, took, it took years and years before people said, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea to be, have these statues of the people who tried to overthrow the country. So, you know, <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, oh, Jesus. <laughs> We want to take a look at it. You know, and it's, 
interesting that um, you know that that and then I guess there are other traditions in in British history that um, that rolling is is referring to because you know they they haven't had that kind of lionizing of uh, Nazism certainly in the same way that that in America we have about Confederates. But they have, it's almost like, we, okay, we, we haven't done away with the Slytherin name and all of the symbols and things like that because it's part of our, it's part of our history. And so we're just, so we're just going to just brush over the fact that, you know, he was kind of a dark wizard. So I think that's part of it. But, you know, these people kind of go along with things. And then when you start digging and finding out, oh, my God, how, how we have a, a day dedicated to this. And then you realize that nobody has even paid it any attention. They no just one said of, anything. Yeah. To, to me, I think they might be far more comfortable with the idea. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, could you say that again? I said, it's like until somebody says, you know, maybe this isn't such a great idea um, to be celebrating this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody has made that point about Slytherin House and all the symbols and everybody's, you know, the snake symbols and all of those kinds of things. Yes, yeah, so because to me that was the thing that was crazy. It was just like, how you gonna be mad that he could speak possum out when, yeah, literally, I teach a country the snake, right? Like, but literally. you know, they talk about how it's not a common gift. Um, hardly no one around that they're right. aware of can do it anymore. So you know that it's only associated with dark wizards and um, dark mm-hmm. magic. So you know people are afraid of it. Um, because they do associate it with dark things. And that's, I mean, I guess reasonable, um, but what a, I don't know. I guess it's it it's important. I mean, it's a, it's just one more thing that is introduced that's important that we're going to see again later. Right. I mean, this is another little nugget right. of information, no, even no. though we as the reader know already that Harry is a parcel mouth. This is something that continues. But and we didn't have right a, up until the very end. We didn't have a name for it until then, right? We just right. We we too assume that everybody else can probably sure. Speak yeah, right? that we, it was I, just I know like I this. assume that mm-hmm. because when they were like we were just like oh it's coming out right. So here again, Hermione, my girl Hermione, who I have to say you know that if if we're gonna have no justice for people, no justice for Hermione. Because we never once went home to her. We never once go on to what's going on with her. And you would think, right, seeing that she and Harry lives in the muggle world, that they would have visited each other. Or at the very least, Harry would go visit her. Mm-hmm. But that never happens, right? We just know that her parents are dentists, whatever the case may be. My girl, Hermione, is to the rescue. She's the only one in the library. Because All apparently, right. you know, <laughs> yes. she's doing the work. Because girls rule the world. Women are, you know, we get Ooh. shit done. Even in the magical world, too. That's right. So magical, right. Hermione did the work, and she was just like, okay. They kicked, you know, she got the clothes. And you see, I mean, I respect Dumbledore, but I have to say Dumbledore knew immediately that the Chamber of Secret did exist. Because when right. he tested um, Mrs. Norris, um, he realized that Mrs. Norris doesn't have, wasn't, she was petrified. And the only right. thing possible of doing that could have been a basilisk, right? And the mm-hmm. direct. Um, Dumbledore is a sneaky mofo, ain't he? Yeah, but he says nothing, yeah. right? He doesn't guard against. He doesn't do something, you know, to do this whatever case. Because we can see where this thing is going, to, right? But um, so there's several other attacks, and in the penultimate, I think the ultimate attack, basically, 
happens to Hermione and a Ravenclaw prefect. Because Hermione figures out something that nobody wanted to admit, that this snake was getting ready to roam around in the bloody school like it was collecting names. Because <laughs> she... <laughs> this is the thing people try to think. The snake was about... Because when she comes out of the library, just as she's leaving the library, she says to Penelope, girl, get a mirror. We can't walk around here no more. Like, we cannot be... You know, so you have a virus now running around in the real world, but you know, like, she's just like, you have to take precaution. And her, her ability to be wise that time is what saved her life, basically. And she holds the secret in her hand, this book, whatever. But I have to say, Hermione has a habit of taking library books out of school and not returning them and ripping them out. Girl, stop holding it. <laughs> stop holding it. No, I would have. Apparently, no, I know. Well, well, we can't know what's missing if we don't know what's missing, right? We can't know what we don't know, right? If the book ain't there, we ain't gonna know that the book was never there, right? Because she figures out too. We would see later on. She figured out how to even get extra, extra books from the library, even though they're not in the library. (laughs) But, but so we see this, and then Harry and realizing that their victim is it. So a lot of times, Harry's purpose is because it's personal, right? He has to go save his friend's sister and his friend's only sister. And we see the the diary coming into play. Here is this object, before we even get to Timothy, here is an object that we introduced to Voldemort in, not necessarily in the, in the flesh, I guess. Right? right. When Voldemort seemingly well, in, the, in the imagery, in the in the In, in the, the imagery, right. Uh-huh. In the spirit. We're, we're introduced to this young kid. And again... We see young children who oh here trying to do major evil harm. <laughs> and we introduce to a young Hagrid, and even as a young Hagrid, he's problematic. Right. Oh, playing with, 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 with spiders and whatever the case may be. And we get all of this information and then ultimately we get to go to the Chamber of Secrets. The thing that we think doesn't exist, and how very clear it was in basically in plain sight. It was in the very same bathroom that morning Moses is running around in. And interestingly enough, she never sees the monster ever again. So she's roaming the bathroom every single time, except when the shit is coming out and trying to kill people. So she she knows the rumblings of when, you know, I died last time I heard this shit. I need to get the fuck out. I need to be in that U-Ben. I need to be in the <laughs> toilet when shit happens again. <laughs> because, like, literally in the toilet. <laughs> because... Literally. I know what happened when I heard Passamount being spoken the last time. And get you know, on get out on and flush yourself down that toilet, girl. Mm-hmm. And actually we would see that scene again, right? Flushing yourself down the toilet that comes back again. Um yes. so we're in the chamber of secret and we, we see the this is where the adventure time comes in, right? Because Dumbledore is chased away from the school and he leaves a warning. That he would never truly leave the school unless people believes that he, right. he believes in him. And this comes to his rescue. We get a phoenix, we get a sword, we get a sword in hat, we get all kind of like magical. And Fox is badass. Let me just say, Fox is the animal you need to get in a magical team. It's just the animal you get. It is. That shit isn't afraid of death. It isn't afraid of Avada Kedavra curses. It is there, okay? This is what you have. This, this path, this is the, the thing that Voldemort is chasing, right? That kind of bravery you can get when you're a mortal, right? Like, fuck it. 
I could step into danger no matter what because I could be born mm-hmm. again. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. So you we see um, and we learn a lot of um, interesting thing here because though we're seeing the magic here happening, we're seeing a type of magic that we didn't we didn't even know that we didn't even understand it, right? That that it becomes something bigger than what it is. That Voldemort is attempting to come back to life by draining the life forces of someone else. That through someone else, and he would come back, I guess, even younger. Um, at the time, and this is something that he's able to do at sixteen. This is something right. that he's thinking about. And we don't even realize how advanced this level of magic is. But but to me, that stuck out to me that at 16 years old, you were trying to do this? Mm-hmm. So this is why I thought Draco was even more dangerous. Because I'm just like, is this the path this idiot going to go to? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is and he didn't have, but see, Draco, Draco did not have Tom Riddle's talent. So well, even though... Even though he had Tom Riddle's enmity for people, and even though he had um, hostility towards certain people, he didn't have Tom Riddle's talent, and he didn't have Tom Riddle's drive. Because remember, That's Tom it. Riddle, Tom Riddle is a walking, breathe. Well, not at this point walking, but throughout Tom Riddle's life, he is so angry at the hand he has been dealt from his father to the whole thing and to being in that orphanage. So, but we don't, you know, right now, all we see is a 16 year old Tom Riddle with nowhere else to go. So even though he unleashes this basilisk and he does this thing, when they start talking about closing the school down, boyfriend is like, oh, this can't be happening. This cannot be happening because I don't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. And I cannot, so he's going to quickly, you know, throw the shade and blame on um, on Hagrid so that right. he can to try to make sure we get rid of Hagrid. The school can um, remain open and I don't have to go back to the orphanage or whatever it is that I'm going back to. So but 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 Draco doesn't have anywhere near. Neither does Lucius, for that matter. But we, we only we really see inside of Draco. Right. Yeah. Draco is like, you know, he's just he's just the kind of bully, call people names. Um, you throw throw weight around that I don't that's not rightfully mine. Mm-hmm. Oh, if it's not twenty twenty. Um Draco yeah. is Draco, that's all he knows to do. And he doesn't have the drive to really, thank God, put this in in, in the kind of thing that Riddle does. He right. has the and the talent to do the kind of evil that he is up to. Debbie just said something to me that made me think of something. So it goes back to how people are applying magic in this world to help out their circumstances. I know he can't do magic. Um, supposedly he can't do magic outside of school. But the magical world doesn't have any exception for someone like Tom, right? That he's going back to yeah. this poor orphanage, whatever the case may be. And he can't even use magic to save himself or better his condition. But no. though he's able, and that I think is crazy. And it, it, I think it causes him to, to steer that into like hurting things. Remember that he's, things are happening at the orphanage that they think he did, but they can't really prove it. Well, we know, we, later, we know he did on. things. We would find out later on that he's been doing, he's already found that his ability, right? Whether, well, we don't I, know any of that now. We don't know right. that, but right now we know that he was capable of putting 
a, a, something of himself. We so, don't even know the name for it yet. He has taken, he has the ability to put something of himself in that diary. Right. And for it to, for him to pull it out when he is able to find someone that he can influence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that he, and I'm wondering, you know, of course, for the story, it makes sense that he chooses Jenny. But also, what is going on with Jenny at that time? She's feeling isolated. She's mm-hmm. got this mad crush on Harry Potter. He's not paying her any attention. So, you know, she is a easy, she's easy picking. She's horrible, but yeah. But, but there's it's also that other thing that Ron is facing also, right? We, so far, we don't see him with any friends. But she's, she's facing yet. that situation Ron faced the year before. Constantly right. getting hand-me-downs, feeling left out and unnoticing this family. It's hard to make an impression on this family, within this family, right? Because you have older, and she's the only girl. And Miss right. Mrs. Weasley, God bless her soul, doesn't seem like a sort of a girly type of woman. Not to say no. she's manly, but, you know, she doesn't seem like the kind of... A lot of her attention seems to be constantly focused on the boys because they're drawing her attention away no matter what. And she's exactly. not working, you know, um, particularly, you know. Um, by the time you get to that last kid, you got that many. You know what I mean? That one practically takes care of itself, right? Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that how it works, right? Exactly. The first one, you're all loving and doting over that one. He gets everything. She gets everything. The best diapers, the best whatever. The next one, the last one, by the time you get to seven, they get a paper towel. Girl, like love. You can run around without it. You can run around without any diapers for a day. You'll be cool. So, I mean, so here are these um, complex issues that are coming out again, you know, where, where that you don't often find in a children's book that is being so vividly described. But Rowling is so, but it's keen or smart not to name these things. No one ever speaks to these things and to say, this is what is, that this is, you know, she is feeling, you know, because Tom describes the situation as her sniveling and and as her basically, oh my God, I got grounded, dreary teenage life, right? Gotta hate some little girl's nonsense. He describes it this way. But but we as readers, as adults, know that, no, this is really important because... Mm -hmm. She was almost on the path of suicide because she is like, because she describes, you know, like something is happening to me and I don't know what it is. I and think again, that's in my also mind. like her adolescence. And it's also, you know, she, she has been wanting to go to this school so long. She's watched her brothers go off every year. She has wanted to be a part of that. She just thinks it looks so romantic in the, you know, generic romantic side of things. It looks like such a great place to go off and, and, and be. And then you get there and it doesn't exactly happen the way you think it's going to happen. Because she hasn't had that that we know of in the in the in the text. We don't see any chance, any opportunities where Jenny is interacting with other girls. We don't know that she knows how to make friends that aren't already part of her family. So she you can see where the isolation comes in. And the fact that she is a sitting target for the likes of a Voldemort that would utilize, um, you know, take advantage of the fact that she is so isolated and hasn't quite found her niche yet. Yeah, that 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 is that is uh, um, that that spoke to my soul. That whole scene, 
that whole when we get into the when we got into the chamber and we saw when I saw I was just like oh wow sir y'all out mm-hmm. here y'all are not playing out here yeah <laughs> and again right. you know I, I I get the sensation I remember getting the sensation is that here is J.K. Rowling supposedly giving us a children's book but it doesn't feel I don't feel like a child you know what I mean like I, this these are not warm fuzzy feeling. Even though we get a nice, nice, neat conclusion at the end, because Dumbledore keeps talking to Harry, right? Something else is happening here, and here we see um, yet again, interesting, you know, like Harry faced death yet again at the school, right? He was on the brink of death, right? And Dumbledore, um, directly in the first book and indirectly in the second book, saves his life. He's he's faced yeah. Voldemort directly again. Mm-hmm. Um, come into competition, had a conversation with him, and mm-hmm. he he knows. And but even though I think we said that we didn't know, ever, I think we do. We 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 should have been clued in because we were aware from the first book that Voldemort was obsessed with coming back alive. Yeah. That he needed that he needed to be he needed a body of some sort. What threw me off with the second book was the timeline. I was like, why would you come back as a child, though, as a 16-year-old you, when before you wanted a host, you wanted a body to, you you were tempting to consume, um, you couldn't live within another body normally. You needed a stone to sort of like give you, you know, strengthen you back to some capacity, whatever the case may be. But as always, Harry's in tight spots. Harry gets out with a sword. He blinds the basilisk, eventually kills the basilisk. No, Fox blinds the basilisk, he kills the basilisk. And he decided on instinct, Eric is Deb's favorite word, Harry is a reactor. He <laughs> decides to stab the book, the diary, which he realized is a, it's problematic that the diary mm-hmm. is coming out. And Voldemort gives him important information. He tells him, I'm half blood like you. And I have changed my name. At this point, I had already been thinking about changing my name to Voldemort, which I think is mm-hmm. either theft of death or fly from death, I think it is. It is French. Doesn't he say that he was already actually going by that name with his closest circle? Right. That was the name he was stylizing himself as, yeah. well, as, you know, um, as this sort of thing. So he had been. Um, so at this point already, we, we, we realized that. This looming figure that we see in the beginning book that attempted to kill three people, triple homicide, to kill, wipe out a whole family. I mean, you could laugh, but it is what it is. Like, in many ways, but, but it is, in many ways, it's almost like, I, I saw this rather interestingly with that other children's book, um, with that stealing the copycat, um, the Hunger Games. Where we are talking about brutality, violence, and in some ways, we're trying to make it like it's not what's happening. And a friend read the book, and she was just like, oh, those District 1 and District 2 people were so crazy, and look at them, they're corrupted because they're trying to fight. I'm just like, but isn't that the rule of the game? This is the rule of the yep. game for everyone, right? That you have to be a trained fighter. You're sending children. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wrong with District 1 and District 2. The problem is that everybody else is, is buying into this whole system. Mm-hmm. Can't blame District 1 and District 2 trying to live and eat. Or hey, you have these complex issues that are happening, these very violent things that are happening, but somehow we 
we try to think of the good overcoming evil idea when it is problematic for everyone. Um, so Voldemort, Harry gets his information then, but he is saved and he is. And I mean, considering, you know, these are like, I mean, he has faced Voldemort in capacity. I don't even think Voldemort has even attempted to. No one, people don't just generally. Well, well, I don't know, actually. We, we, to put it this point, we don't know, but supposedly this former level um, wizard, Harry, is taking him on at every chance he gets, like, boldly, right? He he doesn't have a plan. He's just like, we're going to go down there, we're going to wing it. We're going to see what's going to happen. This is, this is Harry's plan. Right, and right. So I'm just going to react to whatever they throw at me. Whatever's going to throw at me, right? Like, you know, like, we have to, um, we got to fix this. We got to save something, you know, because... In many ways, I think he recognizes that in Voldemort's return and survival, our return is going to upset his world. Because last yeah. time this man was in the world, he took everything away from me. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I need to do something that this is important for me in, 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 in some whatever way. That's why I said that this, not only does it, it's a personal purpose sometimes. That I don't necessarily think Harry is necessarily acting a lot of times for the good of the whole magical community, because in many ways the whole magical community has sat on their ass basically and then expect this situation to resolve itself somehow by someone else. But Harry needs this man to not be a thing. Like, sir, you gonna fuck up this little shit that I have because this world is the only place where I'm a person. Because going back to Privet Drive is problematic. It is it is literally abused. Which is what, you know, that, that's one of, we talked a little bit the last time about these, these, uh, mirrors between Harry and Tom Riddle is he doesn't, Tom Riddle's like, uh, no, I, I'll throw Hagrid under the bus or under the spider or under anything <laughs> because I don't have anywhere else to go. And mm-hmm. Harry is like, well, I'm going to go down in this chamber and do whatever I got to do because I can't, I can't have you messing up my world because this is the only place that I'm treated like a human being. So again, you have those kind of parallels between between them. So you know, right, and, and I think it's, yeah, it's also interesting that <clears throat> Tom Riddle's. You know, we 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 see that he's left these objects around, and right now we just know about the diary, and you know we're going to be learning about more of these objects as we go down down the road. And but not you- to mention every time, like I mean. Harry keeps learning more and more about Voldemort and what he means to the wizarding community, you know, so that it becomes more urgent that something be done. And it is most personal. Well, yeah, it's most personal to him because right now it's very personal. Yeah. Not that he didn't do. I don't know if it's urgent until it becomes the, the problem is there. Right. right. I don't think it really right. becomes urgent until the very, very the end, end when yes. he learns that one of them must die. But, but he's he given knows that purpose. He's he is. Purpose. But he yes. knows even now that, you know, this is, you know, probably bigger than he ever imagined it could be. And he's constantly learning more and more. Like he had no idea, you know, he. Nobody even wants to say his name. And he's like, what's that all about? I mean, just like little things like that he's picked up and learned on the way. So I think it's, you know, really it it affects him differently um, because of who he is, because of, you know, what happened between the two of them. And I think we're going to start to see 
um, well, we will start to see the effect that it has on Harry, how similar they truly are when he starts to learn um, more than what he, you know, he is only told by Voldemort uh, in the, in this book as Tom Riddle, you know, through the memory. Well, haven't you noticed that we're alike and, you know, we're both this and um, everything. So he, he sees that now and he doesn't like it because he knows that this is, you know, a dark wizard. And he, we have to remember that he already, he's still struggling with the fact that he was maybe going to be put in Slytherin. So it's like he just keeps getting more and more information that's telling him he's more and more like Lord Voldemort. So that's hard for him to digest. But Deb mentioned, it goes to what Deb is saying, the parallels. But as we are seeing, mm-hmm. and then we would later learn, that at each of these moments, Harry is making a different choice. Yeah. That, the op- yeah. that, that both options are being presented to him clearly. Right. He's choosing not to accept right. these things, right? That he is able to see, he's able to see, um, in, in whatever moment he is, there is a clarity of him as to whether, whether what is right or wrong. On mm-hmm. what is not the right approach sure. to take to thought situation. But Harry doesn't always see that in himself. He doesn't see that. We that get because... to see it as a reader and we see the differences, but he focuses on the similarities, which also becomes problematic later. Well, you know, people are telling Harry and Harry's just not paying attention, right? That right. tells him, right. you didn't want to go in Slytherin, right? You have to go in Gryffindor. But, you know, this is, but we will come to that, you know, I think this will go back to when we get to the sixth book, which I'm eagerly interested anticipating um, that thing. So, is there any sort of, Janina has the agenda? Is there anything we sort of, like, left out without Darby? We have to, like, conclude the situation with Darby. Um, you know, and again, let me just say, when they come back out of the chamber secret, everybody just sitting around, and nobody went to look for Ginny Weasley. No man did. I just, you know, no they did. did. They did, too. They did not. What? When you say that no one went to go look for her, what is that? What are you? What are you talking? No about? adult went to go look for Ginny Weasley. Said, oh no, adult went to go look. Okay, I I I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that right. Okay. Well, you know, it's not about Ginny. Ginny's fine, and it's all about Harry. It is Harry Potter after all. <laughs> I just hope. You know what? Honestly, they I just didn't even notice that two of the student went missing, and one of them is related to her. So we really need to go find no, these. That's not true. They do notice. Jenny gets comes out and gets taken to the hospital wing. She and then Ron. Her parents, her parents are there. And then remember, Ron gets stuck with Gilderoy. And they actually come, um, Ron, they, what, they were like, some rocks fell and they had to, he had to move them and make way. They actually had to go back and get them. So it wasn't, it, they didn't know. I mean, they knew Ginny was missing, obviously, but they didn't know that Ron was missing at the time that Harry comes back, um, no, wait, 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 back up. No, no, I, I think what happened... They all come back together. Is, is, yeah, they come back together, the but Phoenix. obviously, by the time, while they're while Harry and they're, while they're all down in the chamber, somebody has realized that all of them are missing, because they, when they get back up to, um, to Dumbledore's... Remember, Dumbledore is back. He has been sent away, and now he's back. Mm-hmm. And the, the Weasley family, the, the parents are there. 
They've been so they've been summoned to the school. Yeah. Well, because uh, they think that Ginny's dead. Or well, remember right. McGonagall says she's been taken. But you know, beyond right. all that, it you're right. It's it's all problematic because these adults listen. The adults in Harry Potter never truly um, behave in what we think of in terms of teachers. One in two adults period i mean they very rarely behave that way unless it's like some kind of weird punishment and speaking of punishment this is just something that i thought of um you know on round 20,004 of chamber of secrets so there's this running theme throughout harry potter that oh my gosh we better not get caught doing a b c or d or we're going to get expelled Nobody ever gets expelled <laughs> and they never realize this. It's like there's this constant fear of someone getting expelled. And I was trying to remember. Hagrid. Like, it's yeah. so it's been 50 years. Right. Yeah. No one's been expelled since Hagrid. That was 50 years ago. But there's this constant, constant. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be expelled. I'm going to be expelled. Nobody ever really gets in trouble. Like they really don't. And time and time again, we saw it with Tom Riddle, you know, even though he didn't get busted. So that's not a good comparison. But here at the end of this. Harry and Ron are worried, you know, and Ginny that they're going to be in trouble. But ultimately what happens? Ron and Harry are awarded the special awards and given 200 points each to Gryffindor. Right. No, one well, in trouble. no one really, I mean, well, like, no one, well, no one is doing this sort of things that, um, but they're that constantly they're doing. breaking rules. Yes. But they're breaking rules and saving lives though. I mean, if you want to break rules, break rules for that. Because I, I know, I guess break, break big rules and do big things. It's just interesting that there's this no constant. But so usually you're afraid of something, especially as a child, when you see someone else punished in a certain way. There's always a, a looming fear that something might happen, you know. This is the rule and the consequence is this. But when you continuously listen, if George and Fred Weasley haven't been expelled from Hogwarts, nobody's getting expelled. Nobody. <laughs> so I just it's it's kind of like a little bit of a hole for me that there's this constant. Oh, my gosh, especially for Hermione. And we know that she's a rule follower. But seriously, you're a very smart little girl. Nobody's getting in trouble, and no one's been expelled from Hogwarts in fifty years. So stop saying, well, "Oh my gosh, we're going to get expelled." Mistakes with Hermione and Harry are a little bit bigger and different, right? But because even Ron and, and Harry think they're going to get expelled when they take the car. You know, they are they're expecting that when they show up and they end up in Dumbledore's office, that because they arrived at Hogwarts with the car, the flying Muggle car, that they're going to be expelled well, you, you know what they probably should have been but of course they weren't i think the that that reminds me of how that other old trope that hogwarts is the safest place to be thank you hogwarts is probably the least safe you could be in the magical world and the only safe place seems to be perfect drive you know, just like the oh my god oh my god we're gonna get expelled is you know, running through then, oh my gosh, nothing can happen to us if as long as we're at Hogwarts. I mean, we might only die five times over, but we're going to make it. (laughs) Right, right. You know what I mean? I don't think it's so much a hole in the plot as it is a a little bit of irony 
that um, that you know we keep talking about. Oh, we're going to get expelled for doing this, but it never happens because the things that we're doing, if we hadn't done them, people would have died, or we would have died, or somebody would have yeah. been you know, in worse straits. And the, and Hogwarts, we keep saying, oh, Hogwarts is so safe. But it's obviously not. It's just we barely are living through these things by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, it is. It is fun. Um, I mean, reading the book that didn't really so much so bother me because, like, like I said, you know, Harry kept doing great and magical things, right? These big things. But I think what surprised me is that that the gravity of what he's doing seems to only be comprehended by Dumbledore. Well, that's because as of right, you know, right now... No, that's not what I mean. At the end of the day, Dumbledore sees a bigger picture, right? He's playing 3D chess. Right. At the end of the day, what what we can see happen is that Harry went into... A teacher attempted to kill a student in the first book (laughs) to steal a sorcerer's stone. Kill some unicorn up in the in the um thing, and Dumbledore doesn't strike any person to say it's not Voldemort to have done it, right? A teacher who has been around them, who had Voldemort, the dangerous, most dangerous wizard in the whole place, on his head, right? Harry faced him and dealt with mm-hmm. him, bypassed all the teacher's security. Oh shoot! I knew I forgot something. I forgot the quiz again. Oh my god! I am a horrible. You are host. fired. I know, yes. I'm tired. You're going to get expelled, too, right? I'm going to get expelled. (laughs) But, you know, it's supposed to be a safe place. In the second book, we have a basilisk, a mythical creature, even within the magical world, right? This is a creature that barely exists, right? Someone only killing all the chickens or the cock, you know what I mean? And they make a good meal. Let me just say, I would have been pissed off for just that. Um... It is existent running around the school, a kidnapper student attempted to drain her life force to create a new post, no matter the case to me. Harry did all of that. But my thing is just that why no one is, everyone is just pretending like Harry just was, went under the school and looked for something and came back. Like, that's not what happened here. Like, crazy thing has happened. But no well, one seemed to be taking this, taking these things seriously are understanding the gravity of these situations except Dumbledore and, and and he even understands this even greater we will later on find out that this means because these are big things because he's literally facing Voldemort right well, and when we I think he, you know at, at some point um Voldemort points out that he t- he's mostly talking about the diary because when the Weasleys when the when Mr. and Mrs. Weasley want to know well, what did Jenny have to do with, with with this? And then Voldemort explains about Tom Riddle and the diary, and, and then he did, he became Lord Voldemort, and that, you know, but basically we need to send Miss Weasley to the hospital wing, and then they just stop talking about it. Yeah, even that is surprising to me. And again, I, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, yet another year when I was a teacher endangered the lives of students, okay? Two years running. And apparently, <laughs> this, and, and as we will come to realize that this is a running joke now, like we're going to have, like, the defense against the dark arts, it really should be the defense against the dark arts teacher, because they're kind of problem. 
like at least like, first book. <laughs> well, for some people, the third book is the same thing, right? Because well, we gonna have yeah. it. It's just that you know he he's not working with Voldemort. But, exactly. Um, so, but I think that um, it does kind of bring home the point, and you wonder if this is the point where, because Dumbledore, I'm not sure, ha- has worked it all out in his head yet. He knows that Voldemort is not gone. He knows Voldemort is is out there trying to figure out a but way to come back. Right. He has this. proof of it, but he doesn't. I don't want. I, and I think that we get. <clears throat> especially from the sixth book, that he hasn't all worked it out how Voldemort has done what he has done. Right. It's and not, that matters. He's not really one step. He's, he's, he's been lucky. He's not really all that many steps ahead of what Voldemort is doing. Um, I, I mean, hmm, I read that differently. I think he knows a little bit, but you might be right in terms of like he not figured he does present in the sixth book that he's because in the sixth book I think he's looking for particular information. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's looking for he's a piece a of information. Of, he knows he knows what Voldemort's he knows what Tom Riddle's talents were right. at the school because he says so in this book how talented he was, how he had traveled far and wide to become so engrossed in the dark arts. He knows this much about Voldemort. Um, and then there's some more things he learns in the fourth book about how Voldemort has reconstituted. So I think that he's not, he doesn't know the whole thing at this juncture, at the second or book. Have, or not, or does he have proof really, of what it is, right. too? Right. So he suspects what, what, something, he but he really doesn't know, have... He doesn't really know how to fight Voldemort because he doesn't know everything Voldemort is, is doing yet. Right. He's still learning as well. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing that you see. This is what strikes me is that for someone who you go around and you say he who shall not be named, right? This is the community, whatever the case. Right, is. right. And you would think these people would see this man at every turn, right? Like, and but you don't deal with his ex followers that are around this. They not only they occupy influential space in society. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And so I don't know how much you fear this man. Secondly. Two years running, there is literal proof that this thing exists. But we're going to find out later on that they keep thinking, it's not a thing. Like, what is wrong with y'all? This is not a thing. So so maybe, I mean, I mean, this speaks to times, right, where there's literally threats aboard. And we just, we don't want to accept the threat because the threat, to accept the threat, to acknowledge it, is inconvenient for how we're living our current life, right? Like, just like, ooh. I can't deal with a virus right now because I want to get my hair dead. So I need to act like this is not a thing. So I want to exactly. live my life and enjoy the things I have without Voldemort ex- because I want to believe he doesn't exist. Despite all of the proof that this thing exists. So, you know, it, it's a rather interesting thing that I find that, you know, that for me, when I was reading the book, I always look forward to Dumbledore's conversation, being that I know that this is going to be a series. Because he is the only one who seems to understand what exactly had just happened. But everyone just sort of been like, oh my God, we're happy, you know, they're alive. Ooh, moving on. Feast right. time, food time. But right. Dumbledore is just like, wait, Harry. And, and, you know, like, here are the things. This is not like, yeah, you need some explanation. But you need to understand what is what has happened to you. 
and why this thing is somewhat almost unique that it is happening to you. Because in many ways, we find out that people dismiss them. You know, these children are just wandering around the school. They're just getting into little mishap and mayhem. They're dealing with the Dark Lord. This isn't little mischief and mayhem, okay? <laughs> this is this is the existential threat that your whole new, your modern day society is built up around, right? You move from Grendelwald yeah. to Voldemort, and you're dealing with a post-Voldemort world. You know what I mean? And it, it seems to be like, I don't know, like, yeah, I keep propping up, but it's the same thing with the real world, right? We keep producing yeah. these conditions to prop up these evil, wicked people, but somehow we're not addressing that madness. So, I that's mean, right. And then, and then we're we just going to try to get quickly move past it so that I can get back to what I'm more comfortable with until there's no more moving past it and we are at war, which you know when we get to the end of the book, the end of the right. series. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they, um, <clears throat> it's you know, well, we need a, we need more proof. We need more this. We need more that. But everybody else is perfectly content to move on. Okay, the children are okay. Nobody got hurt, other than you know, so the people are awake now. Everybody that was petrified, they got the, um, what was it that they made with the the mandrakes? The, the mandrake. They make the I was uncomfortable about the mandrakes. Okay, just remember. Reels <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like, first of all, that they're called ugly babies. <laughs> right. And, and they're they electro singing in folklore. Cut them up and stew them. I'm, I'm, you know, this is really, this is some Charles Adams, you know, crap. Here exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they get acne, so they're like teenagers. This is not like, you know, right. like. Okay. They're so, irritable. So now they're they're we're gonna just wake up everybody and then um, we're gonna you know we'll, we'll have the feast and we'll, we'll leave the school. So it, it, you're right. I mean, a lot of these things are just pushed under the rug, um, but they are not pushed that far because they're gonna be right back out. They're gonna be right back out. And uh, for me, I, I'm still grappling with the fact like how can I even pretend this is not a thing? I know. How can you pretend that this is not a thing? Because of the element, because this is what I keep going back to why I keep hopping on the magic. Because literally everyone is walking around with a weapon of mass destruction. And not the, using it. And you know what I mean? And it's it just what withholds somebody from not using it is, you know, personal choice, basically. You know what I mean? Like, you're living in a world where things that you would ordinarily think are impossible are actually possible. And you're dealing with someone who is even defying those impossible things that you are t- you think about. So, you know, right. you know, things. So we're at the end of book two and we've ended our friend Dobby, you know, our wonderful <laughs> house slave. <laughs> and <laughs> he's saved by a little white boy. Wonderful. Oh. He's saved with, you know, and that is such a, I remember reading that, that was such a striking scene for me. And then that, in the Malfoys and just how, I mean, of course, he's played towards being evil. But to me, I got the sense that this wasn't just evil. Y- y'all are sadistic. Y'all are in some other yeah. level. But oh, yeah. That, that, that there is no redeeming to me. People no. like this is, and it's it's one of those things that I see rather interesting in, in J.K. Rowling's work. That she's showing us different levels of evilness. Not yeah. just traditional, because typically in children novels, you would see someone being quote unquote naughty and you would see evil. Like, you know, yeah. like we're going to kill everyone. Yes, evil. But 
Rowling is showing us different level of evil, and, and in many ways, we are generally kind of comfortable with many of these levels of evilness until it comes to it's directly affecting the people that we like. But she's showing us that the evil is happening to everybody, right? Like that's why a lot of people ignore Morning Myrtle. But Morning right. Myrtle is being harassed the same way Draco is harassing Hermione, mm-hmm. like Hermione, yeah. Harry and Harry and Ron. And Hermione becomes friends because of a bathroom situation. She, they said something and she went into a bathroom crying and was nearly killed. Yep. <laughs> and at, she at safe old Hogwarts. At safe old Hogwarts, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we, can just, <laughs> we can just bring in two trolls into this school. Exactly. You know what I mean? That unbeknownst to students. But, um, so Dobby is saved, and we realize that Dobby is, we know Dobby is capable of magic, but we see Dobby is capable of, of battle magic in some respect, that he can, you know, defend the things that he like, and he's happy, and he's forever grateful to Harry, that he is happy that Harry Potter is able to save him, um, that through Harry, he, he receives his freedom because of the sock incident. And, you know, Malfoy disregarding whatever it is, like, oh, and throwing it to the house slave, the house elf, rather. And, you know, we as we meet more magical creatures, we're going to see how constantly, even though these people are logical, sentient beings able to understand languages, able to understand the world around them, understand, have complex emotions, that they're still being seen as treated and drawn and placed in subservient roles to wizard, even though they receive freedom, because at no point Dobby never changes. Right? Dobby's behavior right. changed to a right. certain mass. He, he transferred the obsession and loyalty from one master to another. Just just one doesn't um abuse okay. him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But in the I end think worth exploring because we see a hierarchy of creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we've been seeing it, but we haven't really fully um, explored it, and we won't until we get to the fifth book, I think. But yeah, I think you're absolutely but, right. But even then, that isn't even explored. But when we get there, that isn't even explored either, right? That isn't well, we, even- see the, we see the actual. Um, remember, they got a statue. Right, there's a statue they, exists. There's a statue that tells you that this is what we think, this is what we believe. So this goes back to my idea about with the Ron and the Weasleys and, and the ideas about mudbloods, etc. Is that these ideas have been permeated within the society. Yes. And a lot of people are far more comfortable with it than they're willing to say. Mm-hmm. Because this is why there isn't a direct reaction to this problem, right? That we see this in other The most you get is people saying, I don't treat people this way. Right. And, and you would I have black this. friends. Right. right, I don't. You don't <laughs> the get usual suspects speak. Yeah. The usual suspects speak because one of the things that is thrown at the Weasley, particularly Arthur Weasley, is that he's Muggle loving. They yes. don't say mudblood, but he's Muggle loving. So that is right. seen as an obsession with him. Right. That is and and that even gets annoying to me because as much as he's obsessed with these people, he still don't even learn anything. I'm just saying, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Like. It isn't that hard to understand how people work. Like, you literally live in the same world as they do, right? 
to go to the yeah. hospital, you literally have to go tends, into. He tends to be obsessed with the things that they use. Right. He's not, but so, he's not that interested in them as people. He's not right. interested in as other human beings. He's interested in the things that they use that are that they that he doesn't need to use because of magic. He's interested in how they how they some in, in the sense that how they op, how their world operates. He's not interested yeah. in them. He's interested no. in their world. Right. How they figure out without magic. That that's true. That is true. But he doesn't have any. He doesn't hold any animosity to them as no creatures. No. And, and now and does he, he advocate for there to be demise? Um, right. But so we're at the end of the book of secrets, ladies. Are there anything summed up so far that we love that we, you know, like we? Well, again, thank you, Deb, for letting us know what this book truly meant. Because I know, I, right? It I changed just, the whole world. <laughs> I appreciate it on such a different level. I mean, it, well, it I does think, mean I, so I much. Obviously, from the discussion, you, you, it was always there. I just, I think it was just like when pointed in that direction, everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, of course. And then, right. you know, but um, that's, you know, probably a product of going to so many Harry Potter conferences. Um, last last number of years but um, I just think it's you know it's really interesting to go back and revisit it especially after the the things that played out in the series I know we're coming up on your favorite book I can't wait I feel like I feel like you're gonna have so much to say it's gonna be like five I got my shirt I have my, my I actually have kitchen canisters Based on the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> I got Harry Potter merch based on Prisoner of Azkaban. Hey. But you know what's funny is that I read, I've reread the series so many times that you, as we all have, and I have seen these elements in books, right? Like, oh yeah, I know this comes back later on. Okay, but the way in which Deb put it in terms of like this is the key to understanding the whole series, I was like, oh my god, you're right. Like it just never like. It never dawned on me to look at the book this way, right? Because it, to me, it just it just seemed like a placeholder to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it was it was just the second year, right? It's just like oh, another right. year. It's just building the tension. Mm-hmm. But right? What was it really the into that? This so book, important. Yeah, I, this I book. I really is, do think that was deliberate. I do think mm-hmm. that was a deliberate misdirection, the same way that. That Austin uses misdirection to make you think somebody's a good guy, and then you find out they're not, or vice versa. I think she deliberately had had the reader focus, because you know she this whole thing was mapped out. So I think she deliberately had the reader focused on the plot as opposed to all of those various elements that the were going. Symbolism, to right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But, but- but we were thinking about because usually we see symbol. We we didn't see the symbolism. We just saw it as um what do they call them nest eggs, yeah. where you would see things that would play out in the same book, Easter right? Egg. Easter, Easter egg, egg. <laughs> right? Yeah. We saw them as Easter eggs, perhaps. Oh, I don't really call them that. I just call them you know clues, you know, because I'm a mystery right, right. reader. They're clues, <laughs> but, yeah. But clues. Uh, but she, we typically saw the clues in they play out helping play out in the book itself right right, right. not necessarily right. in seeing it back and even as we reread it we don't ever think of it in any way i never even thought of the book as uh, 
any of the book as being some sort of significant thing other than a plot point, right? Like, you know, he comes back, you know, Harry meets him here for the first time. Oh, the diary. Okay, the diary was a thing. Well, at least in my head when I got to the diary in book six, well, it's destroyed, right? Yeah, moving on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But when I saw that thing and I reread the book, I was like, oh, my God, like, Dumbledore literally mentions Horcruxes. He literally says, except that word. He said, there is a part of him in you. In but you. like Harry, I ignore that shit. I was like, okay, right. whatever. Well, cool, and right? because we learn similarities, so we just kind of take it at face value. Right. Right. You know, and, you know, we're going to see that play out stuff. So this was a I want, very... I want to like, keep you true, Reels. I'm assuming that the question you did not answer was about was part of the things to get to the stone, right? Yes, that's what I was talking about, yes. Okay, so I put in the work. You put in the work? I put in the work. Oh my god, you didn't tell me? Okay. Alright, so which means I'm going to figure this out today. I'm going to do this after we get off of here. And I'm going to see whether we got the same answer. Okay. So, you're going to give your answer? No, I can't talk about it then. So, actually, you have to freaking do it. Yes, you have to do it. And that's what Deb, I expect you to remind me. You know, and every day we talk about, you know, old age, Deb. You talk about my memory. (laughs) And here I am relying upon you. (laughs) This is a memory. Like a man, right? Woman, remember this. Okay, lady. (laughs) But I would... I'm I'm not like uh, um, uh, Gilderoy. I don't have proficiency with memory charms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Listen, I'm going to hold you accountable. Can we talk about Gilderoy? Gilderoy is okay to kill those children. Gilderoy was saying, your bones will be left in here. Can we talk about that? Like, like. <laughs> Right, right. So we will um, open next podcast with, with the, the riddle. Okay. And then we will jump deep into the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, it's, I'm excited. I like this book. Absolutely. All right, guys. Oh. All right. It was all. It was awesome as always. As always, as always. No final word on this this book. We have dealt with it. But you know what? This will be a book we have to continue talking about anyway, right? We'll be back with like, oh my god, this is mentioned here. So. Yeah. So I hope those who are listening that you're enjoying our series so far that you are paying attention you know you're doing the homework like i'm supposed to be doing and i gotta fight what what 16 inches essay who you know what that was the thing that scared me the most in this thing that essays i mentioned are counted not by words but by inches i was like this is cruel okay this is right real big (laughs) (laughs) like ron like ron yes be like ron be like ron so, folks, don't forget to comment. We're on we're on YouTube now. We're able to get on YouTube, so it's easier to comment on YouTube there. But, you know, leave a rating on Apple. Leave a rating on, on Podbean or wherever you get us. And spread it and tell your friends, you know. Because, because you know what I've noticed? Even the laziest takes are becoming a thing on Twitter. And I'm just like, we should be trending. We, we, we are that good. We are. You know, we are that good. I mean, by book seven, we need J.K. Rowling to come on here and, 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 and yeah. J.K. Rowling needs to come on here and have a Maybe talk with us. Maybe if we start us. tweeting her every single day, 
starting now, by the time we get to seven, she'll be annoyed enough to say fine. <laughs> All right, guys. Have and a Jake, good if you come on, I promise I won't mention the Grindelwald series. I promise I won't mention that how it mess up a series. The beast of whatever they want from. He's I won't mention the series. Just so we're clear. Alrighty. Have a good day, ladies, and enjoy. Okay. Take Long care. Mischief.